0: All right, friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Bart, and you're listening to The Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast, the show where I try and cover the most interesting stories in skateboarding, surfing, and snowboarding. So thanks for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope you enjoy it. It's been a while in the making this episode. Myself and this week's guest, Danny Kiwi-Meyer, have been chatting on and off for three or four years now, trying to pin down a date for this. As he explained during our conversations, there were a few reasons for this which he goes into in some detail, which is um, of great interest to me. But we finally made it happen in October 2021. And I'm very, very glad that we did, because this is one of those rare conversations that is really an investigation into the biggest themes of all, using snowboarding and our little world as a cover and a way in, which is kind of what this whole thing is about, really. As I often say, action sports are as good a vehicle as any to explore these themes. So why not? Themes like, is experience a prerequisite for knowledge? How can you use the lessons of life to strive for equanimity? Can you avoid taking life personally? Should we let our curiosity guide our decision making? And how can we put storytelling at the center of what we do? Now, these are questions we all grapple with at some point during our lives, however unwittingly. And these are themes that have been consistently reappearing over the life of the podcast. And as I realised at the end of this conversation, they're the questions that formed the key themes of my chat with Danny. Not that this is the whole of it, of course. We also covered Danny's snowboarding career. As you might have guessed from his nickname, Kiwi, Danny's from New Zealand, but it was part of the nascent late 80s, early 90s, European snowboarding scene that he made his name. On the snow, his surf-influenced rootsy he take on snowboarding saw him carve out a gloriously... Idiosyncratic career riding for brands like Rad Air and Northwave and helping to create the European professional scene as we still recognize it today. Off the snow, his work ethic, ability to see the bigger picture, and incessant curiosity marked him out as a genuine innovator. To take one example, the Crystal Awards, snowboarding's original culture driven content comp that soon became one of the most copied formats ever and which was all Danny's work and idea, or his work with his agency, Mana Media, which saw him work with the biggest brands on the planet, and succeed in taking his culturally sympathetic approach to storytelling to the biggest commercial canvases of all. Now, in midlife, Danny's taking stock of his life and career, which is what made this a particularly good moment for us to have our conversation. And I'm very fortunate, indeed, that he was gracious enough to share his insights for this episode. I mean, it's the type of conversation that caused me to view my own life in a different perspective, which is about all you can ask for, like I said, with this thing. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Just a quick note on the sound. We've, we did have a slight mic issue with this one, meaning that the sound on Danny's side isn't always as clear as it could be. But I hope you can live with that and stick with what I found to be one of the most enjoyable chats I've had for the podcast in quite some time. Here's me and Danny. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm going to hit record because this can be where the uh, the gold already starts.
1: It's funny, I was in New Zealand with Tony James on his side hit podcast and our first 30 minutes were the funnest conversations as we walked into the house and I'd never met him before ever and I met his wife and his dog and I was like, are we recording? I'm like, oh, do we have to do this again? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, that's why I always just try and hit record straight away because, yeah, you, you, you just get that gold, don't you? Like with the early exchanges. Hey, man. But how are you, mate?
1: I'm um, I'm good. I know I've been pretty elusive over the last couple of years.
0: <laughs> well, we've, bo- we, we've both had our moments, haven't we, where we've been a bit like, right, we can do this. We've got a day. And then you've been busy and then I've been busy. and But yeah, here we are. All good. Yeah, mate. But it looks no. like you've been, um, I think, so you're in France now, but you're in Switzerland recently are, are you just like flitting around quite a lot between different parts of europe that seems to be the case
1: i think that's just lately been the case but you know we've been pretty chill hanging out here in southwestern france for quite a while because of the whole you know not a lot of traveling being going on not a lot of really interest to travel to be honest Really want to deal with all the parameters of uh you know people telling you what you can and cannot do. Uh, so I just huddled, I pretty well huddled down here for the last couple of years, but, um, I did, I did go to New Zealand for four months, which was, a, which was kind of December to May. And then I came back and it was spring and and I've just come back from like three weeks in kind of Italy, Switzerland, the Alps, A mix of play, a mix of work, a little, little bit of administration, um, but yeah, just just back here now. It's good. It's a good time to be here. This is how. This is the best part of the year, I think.
0: So tell me about this this amazing looking place you're in. So this is this is this is, this is your. How long have you had this place?
1: Um, well, I've had this garage, which it used to be. Uh, I had it since I bought the house, which is next door, since two thousand and four. It's on a property here in uh, in Anglet, southwestern France, and. Um, it was just part of the house. It was an old garage. And then while we were in the States, me, my wife, and my daughter were in the States, um, I came up with a silly idea to start you know, designing and building out the garage. And uh, we came back a few years later. It was just a building site, a whole lot of things to take care of. But the goal was just to create basically a batch, like replicate something that I would have in New Zealand if I was living at a beach. And I just had a small space that I wanted to build out. And so we split the land up. and. Built what we call is like very 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 cost effective and um, resourceful, 64 square meter home for me me even Lani and so now it's where we live. I mean uh, we moved and it was supposed to be just you know short term transition, come back from the states, move into this small space and then move on, you know. Um, but we've been here for a couple of years now and it's it's really really good. It's yeah, taught it looks- us a lot, eh
0: looks beautiful man looks uh yeah, yeah. E- even from this little you know obviously i've just got this little snapshot through the screen but yeah it looks yeah yeah it looks rad I- i'm I'm interested in it as well because me and my wife have just bought some land in normandy oh, um, yeah. and we're going through the kind of i'm sure you've been through it, you know the process to get permission to build and and, and all this um but we're going to build a little cabin on it over the next year so anytime i see something like this i'm like yeah definitely intrigued inspired let's say
1: yeah and i think i do it a little different again i become even more mindful like from the bottom up so it becomes very 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 self-sufficient self-running autonomous there's a few elements that we uh, we have constraints on just because we weren't knowledgeable in building something so small and so effective Uh, but there's not a lot and uh we always say if we if we if we get a if we get a piece of land like further back from the coast we would build one for each one of us exactly like this again you know so everybody has their space it's it's pretty awesome we are even we even like uh, focus on how big uh and how big the water um cylinders are and when they heat so that we only actually have um from midnight to 8am, which is the the, uh, time where, you know, the least amount of power is being used, the water heats up. But then as of 8am and midnight, the only amount of water, hot water you have available to you is that what's in the tank, which is already a small tank. Um, So it's a little bit like living on a boat. You know exactly how much resources you have and who's using what and when someone's taking a shower. And if you want a cold shower, go for it, but if you want a hot shower, you gotta know. You gotta think of the others in the house. yeah, there's a lot of elements we really, really do to use to to minimize our footprint within our own space, which has been just a healthy way to live.
0: And that was, so, that was, so was there a bit of a conscious downsizing by the sounds of it, you know, moving from, because you're in Portland, right?
1: Bro, we went from 200 square meters here, which is next door to 500 square meters in the States, which is a consumption culture there a mad excess. So suddenly everything is full of stuff. We were just had stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um it's unbelievable how much you consume over there on a on an hour to hour basis, you know. Um and it's quite thrilling to be part of that for a while, and then suddenly you realize, "Well, is this really is this really necessary? And where's this going? What are we teaching our what are we teaching ourselves and our daughter and why are we part of this?" And then when we came back here, we decided to just obviously we We got rid of a lot of stuff, but we also contained a lot of stuff and brought it back, but then we decided to come back and just um, simplify to the absolute core minimum and just relearn and re-educate ourselves to become um, independent towards exterior influences and uh, just stop the consumption flow unless it's necessary and uh, reuse and repurpose and recycle. And I don't kind of mean that like recycling, but I mean if something's worn or used, fix it. Um, if it's worn or used, and doesn't fit anymore, give it to someone who needs it. If you need something, go buy a used one. Um, my snowball boots were in their ninth season. I was really bummed when I eventually had to buy a new pair. <laughs> because I couldn't give the older ones to anybody and the old ones would just thrash because the boarding came into tow and then that just thrashes your equipment. So we just started working on really using things to the very last drop. Um, and this was part of it, you know, scaling down and, and scaling down smartly, scaling down with a sense of longevity and um, something that you can rely on and that you're not reliant on others other than yourself. That was our intent Yeah
0: works is is that is that the mic just just quickly is that the mic that you're speaking into on the headphones um because it because i think because it's basically it's, it is fluctuating in and out a little bit i think as you're okay yeah
1: so I, I got this beast stay, eh, but it doesn't work every time i i just speak to you it just keeps cutting out on me
0: Ah, uh, okay. So is it, it so it sounds like it is recording through through. The, I mean, it's the, the signal's fine. I think if we just make sure it's like kind of up 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 front a bit, that's that that definitely definitely works. So the mic's not working. That's kind of weird, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I went out and pulled in a biggie. That was it's a boros, but it's perfect. It's just the bomb, but uh, it just keeps not... cutting out. It's weird. I wish it would work.
0: Ah, uh, the I mean, this thing's this thing's fine. It's working good. It's okay. Um, so. You mentioned that you would do a couple of things a bit differently. So what have you, what have you learned since you kind of, you've had a few years, well, however long to kind of live with this new setup? Like what, what, would you, what would you do again? What would you, what would you change?
1: Um, we would insulate it differently so that through the summers where it's really hot, we would be able to keep it cool, keep it cool within its own space um we would also get to a point where heating in the winter would be a bare minimum we're really lucky in the winter because we have so much glass that we have to hardly heat the place um and there there there's floor heating through it you know so it's 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 soft and low and it comes from the bottom up and heat obviously rises um the trickiest one is keeping the heat out in the summer
0: and
1: we definitely weren't aware how much insulation you need how much shade you need how much you need to be able to move through the day from morning midday to afternoon to evening sunlight to be able to like manage uh incoming weather you know um i would probably look at wind and sun to generate power and energy we didn't have that opportunity or we just didn't think about that at the onset that would be something we would add and i if i was to move again i would make sure there's some sort of source so you have constant water availability and even if it's just for flushing or rinsing that might not be potable water but for users and even if it's for garden or or you know any sort of irrigation or or, or cleaning your wetsuits or you know um, whatever's needed we we don't even wash our dishes in hot water we only use cold water there's no need to just keep running hot water out of your tap so we're already pretty good with that stuff but um i think it's just more the minute you turn a light on or you turn a tap on you've got to be aware that you're paying for that service and there's not always the necessity to do that when the natural resources are there if you think forward a little bit
0: I mean, it's just so you take it for granted, don't you? Like the amount of energy that we misuse, you know, like even if you, even if you look at something like, yeah, like light switches, just go around your house, turn the light on, leave it on, leave the tap running unnecessarily. Just, you know, you kind of, it's actually quite difficult to, to unpick those habits, isn't it? You know, to, to kind of retrain yourself. Is that is that been a big part of that for you to try and kind of relearn a different way of living?
1: Um, I think the one thing, if there's, you know, there's a lot of constraints we have these days, or we, so we say, yeah, but your choices are still your choices. You can, no one can take away you, your choice of how you act, um, how you choose your way. We always have that choice every minute of the day, you know, we can take a step back, we can deal with the situation, we can move through it. And, um, I think the less distractions you have around you, the more you focus on the moment the now uh the easier it is to deal with that and um i don't know i don't i don't i don't think there's any limitations to um, what we can do and what we can achieve it's just they're compromis- they they're compromising the sense of sacrifices you know, and those sacrifices sometimes have to do with like um What we call luxury, you know. How much? What is luxury? Even you know, is luxury being committed to paying someone to give you a sense of comfort, or is luxury more the ability to be completely free and autonomous, and how you move and act through your your little ecosystem or world, you know? And I kind of picked the latter, Um, and that gives me a lot of freedom, and I'm very very independent now, and um, can really choose my place and my space and my sense of being, and. I think that's what i learned the most as i grew older you know um and like i said there's more constraints today for humans i think than ever before but i feel freer than ever before so i think you know it's kind of proof in the pudding there that it is possible if you have a certain amount of discipline
0: so when you say freer mentally freer well, um def yeah it's
1: um It's a tricky, probably a tricky word to throw out there, but uh, spiritually for you, too, you know, like your mindset, um, your beliefs and uh, your well-being, you know, spiritually and what you think and your mental well-being, your mind. I was very, very uh, nervous as a kid and, had inferiority complexes and didn't really feel I had a voice and um, was very yes yes to everything and everybody and was trying to please constantly my surroundings because I felt like if I contributed enough it would somehow bring me pleasure <laughs> and I'd get ahead and move forward you know um, we had a tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand you know we probably still do uh, so I kind of left the only without it until I, I was really worthy I just did a lot of listening, um, and saying yes to a lot of things and just kind of followed along and tried to hide in the crowd a little bit, you know, and watched all the ledge people that we all look up to today be, you know, extroverted and loud. And, um, I didn't feel I had found my voice until I got, you know, maybe even in my late forties, even.
0: It's one of the really liberating things I found about getting older, like that, that it's it's almost like because I really recognize a lot of what you're saying there when I think back to my 20s about you know essentially what you're talking about like how we try and find our place aren't you and like how your behavior influences your ability to to find your, your place whether it's like as you say spiritually mentally or even like when it comes to more tangible material things like a career or like what what's considered to be success or and as yeah as I've it's quite a recent thing for me, but as I've got into my mid forties, like I found it very liberating kind of being aware of being, being more aware of the things that give me that sense of personal well being and the fact that, ah, actually I don't need to do that. <laughs> I can, I can, I can stop doing that. I can do the thing that I, now I'm aware kind of gives me a bit more satisfaction and makes me feel a more rounded person um but on that you met, you said something interesting then because you said you felt the need i can't quite remember exactly how you put it but it sounded like you said something like you felt the need to kind of prove yourself mm. um in the arena that especially the arena you were in as like a professional snowboarder mm. surrounded by a very particular peer group um and you always struck me you know we don't know each other super well but i was always very struck by your work ethic with whether it was mm-hmm. snowboarding the extracurricular things that you did the crystal awards springs to mind was that did was that kind of sense of trying to find your place did that drive that work ethic was that one of the things that was that was pushing you to to sort of try and achieve so much on so many different fronts
1: uh it's 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 a good one because um you know a lot of people say like Gee, you've done so much, and you've been successful. And how do you do that? And I, I often don't even have an answer for them. Um, but this this culmination, even over the last few years, of all the things—let's call it all the all the legacies you leave behind, or the things you're even involved in now, um, the areas you've touched and helped contribute to—they all had a um, a certain soulful condition about them, you know. Um, and a lot of people gave me that name, the Soul Writer. you know, even when I was younger and, you know, NBM was doing interviews on me and there was a lot of editorial going on around and the sponsors were creating, the, you know, boots and, and, and putting, you know, it's the soul model and stuff like that. And I suddenly, suddenly be, became aware of what the perception of others were around me and that started to form my opinion about how I wanted to perceive myself until I got to the point where I actually found myself, you know, which, again, takes, for me it took decades some people probably find themselves when they're 12 I was like <laughs> definitely not a mature 12 year old I'm definitely uh-uh. your camp <laughs> <laughs> and I'm you know I'm thrilled to, to 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 talk to kids and listen to kids today and, and listen to their knowledge and experience and intelligence but I would um never recommend them to grow up too quickly you know and don't get too mature too fast you know Help let yourself evolve and mature like a good good tree with many rings you know you're still a tree even once you're just a sprog you're still going to end up being a tree and one day you'll be a big grand master tree hopefully you know if you grow enough rings so keep growing <laughs> um but coming back to what drove me i suppose um I was just always very willing to do good, great, or the greatest in whatever I was involved in. And if that was to contribute to the betterment of the people around me, I was more involved into investing to that and succeeding within myself. So it was more of a servant role. I was serving the, the environment I was in and that, brought, that was thrilling for me because I was never given opportunity as broad as I was until I got to Europe. You know, we don't have all those opportunities of that kind in New Zealand when you're growing up you know you grow up uh, in a certain environment I grew up in a fishing family my dad was a you know commercial professional diver and hunter and fisherman and we grew up a hill with no shop or anything you know so we didn't really grow up very very um, very rich in anything other than the family experiences but when you get to Europe and suddenly people offer you all these tools and these crayons and these these, these tickets and these you know these resources and you, you're just thankful for it and you focus on that thankfulness by giving back and creating betterment around you suddenly the ship grows around you and suddenly that becomes part of your identity and your dna and suddenly you find your space and your place in that and uh, i suppose out of that grows you know some sort of legacy for them for your community or for yourself you know it doesn't really matter where as long as you're happy
0: doing it that, was that one of the reasons that you that you made the move to europe to seek out those opportunities like you, you talk about it um now obviously with the benefit of hindsight but when you when you were younger when you were in that position was that something that you recognized did you did you feel the need to to get out of where you grew up to to sort of afford yourself the opportunity to grow
1: oh so get out of where i'm at yes for opportunity to grow i'm not sure you know i don't think we had enough foresight or i didn't have enough foresight back then but what i did realize um and it came to me pretty clearly um was when i was in 86 i was in raglan i was living in the a-frame most people in raglan will know what the a-frame is above indicators it's a pretty well-known house um i was glassing sanding and spraying uh surfboards for country lines and exit sticks and then we did dry surfboards anyway that's kind of irrelevant and i was surfing and uh and uh you know I had my girls and my you know my, my job and per- life was pretty grand to be honest <laughs> um and i said if i don't go now i'll never go because this is just too good and i knew i had a swiss passport and my grandmother's 80th birthday was coming up in switzerland and i saved 400 dollars, and i took a one-way ticket and i and i just beelined it via sumatra for two months and stayed in the ass for two months and then i arrived in in zurich for my grandmother's 80th birthday with you know i don't know i had about 80, 80 bucks in my pocket and a surfboard and a and a big hug for my granny and that was the beginning of my european sojourn you know um not much more to it than that to be honest <laughs> uh,
0: that's a great great image though isn't it you know when you look at the life that you've managed to establish for yourself $80 in your pocket surfboard you know it's a great sort of Dick Whittington style image yeah. <laughs> like turn up in in Zurich you know yeah had you snowboarded at that point
1: no nah, I'll say no I did try it a couple of times and I hated it I saw no purpose in it and it was a distraction from surfing um, I just didn't see the purpose of spending money going on a mountain or, or being part of that. It was a completely different club, if you will, the ski world, snow, and I remember, you know, some well-off people back then having their, you know, Land Rovers, well, we had a Land Rover too, but it wasn't really a, a, a Range Rover they had. They used to go to the mountain and buy their tickets. It just wasn't my thing, didn't make sense. So no, I wasn't into snowboarding at all or snow. Till I got to Europe. And um, and I wasn't really into it then either. It was just because um, I didn't have surf anymore and I was kind of stuck in Switzerland and someone I met at a time, a guy called Danny Desaxe, who comes from a valley called um, the Suselva, which is a little village at the end called or Muster in Romanish. Uh, he offered me uh, the opportunity to find a job there. and. I went there and got my first job in Switzerland, uh, running an ice rink. And, um, I had nothing else to do every day cause it didn't open till one in the afternoon. So I just, went, I went, I went to learn how to snowboard in the morning, you know, with two other skiers, uh, and that was it. That was the beginning.
0: Where was that? What was the resort?
1: It was, it's called Dissentis. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's in Switzerland.
0: Running an ice rink. That's funny. How was that? That's a, great, that's a great first gig, isn't it?
1: Bonkers, mate. I'd never ice skated before. I'd never <laughs> seen an ice rink before. Um, it, was a, it was one of those um, original ice rinks where they take two tennis courts. Right. Uh, then you have to put skis on, which was a tricky one in, in itself, and I had to walk around without falling over and crossing over the skis across the entire two tennis courts to stand down a snow pad, build a little snow frame around it, um, all new to me and then uh, get this fire hose out and spend about 100 hours in the middle of the night just squirting water all over the <laughs> snow until you built up about i don't know 20 centimeters of frozen water layers on the snow and then normally the kids would come and they'd cut it with their ice skates you know by skating on it become a flat ice cream then you just top it up and get rid of the snow every day and open up and set, rent them ice skates and sell them chocolate bars and um that, that's what an ice meister does, which is the name of an ice rink. An ice, ice meister. Drink. Brilliant. Ice meister.
0: I mean, that sounds like a great introduction to Swiss Martin culture, I must say. The snowboard, in the, snowboard in the morning, you know, go and work at the rink, presumably find your feet in the culture in the evening. Let's put it that way. It was the
1: best. I didn't Romanish, I meant the whole village, grandparents, the parents, the kids. Uh, I got to get on the mountain at eight in the morning. I rode to one. Um, I only rode with skiers. There was no other snowboarders in the town. So it was just quite a unique way of understanding. And they were insane skiers and they were always out backcountry. And I had to learn, you know, behind them on what it is to ride. <laughs> and that gave me maybe that big flowy line and, you know, backcountry experience, like from an organic, you know, day one uh, start off without even
0: being aware. It's cool yeah i was gonna i was gonna say that that's again it sort of makes sense when you look at your riding career and how it develops as you say like the the kind of reputation and the style that you developed as, as a rider as well it, you know you can see how that formative influence makes sense for sure so when did you start to connect the dots or or even become aware of the such a thing as like the european snowboard scene because obviously you ended up becoming quite a key part of that community and a really influential Mm. voice. So when did that start to sort of happen for you?
1: Um, Livino Jose Fernandez camp 89. Um, I went to that camp. Well, first I didn't know really anything about the industry. Um, the only thing I knew about snowboarding or some sort of like culture was through Beach Mountain Zurich, through Andy Tanner, Patrick Rode. And they had this guy called Mickey Fru uh, as their te- shop uh, rider. And he you was know, obviously European half-pipe champion at the time or just the year before. And there was this poster on the shop and it was just him doing this, one of his signature methods. And he was writing for Vision Streetwear at the time, and Sims, and of course I bought a Sims board. and. Um, at the end of my first season i went to this jose camp and um the first week so i saved up money i went there That's saw amazing. all these writers and you know jose fernandes was there and petra music and all these mm-hmm. legends and vicky was there and it was just a bunch of writers and um i did the week and i was normally supposed to go home after the week and uh, i wanted to stay so i said hey uh how about i just wax and tune everybody's boards and you let me stay a week very typical me like you know i'll do something for you if i could just hang a little more you know because i just don't know what else to do with my time so i stayed another week and at the end of that week i won it. there was this little like camp contest and i won it and then um patron music flowed me a bunch of her clothes which was all super sized and Way too big for me, but it just gave me all this stuff. But she also gave me a ticket. The ticket was because uh, she was obviously highly sponsored at the time and she had all these free passes and invites to different camps. It was to the Cambridge Classic in Tinia. Um, that was a summer camp. So the following summer, I went down to, uh, took a train, didn't know where Tinia was, and found my way, got into the room that was offered and got my passes and went on the mountain. You know, no one. Um and I started riding around and there was like a Stefan Radigi there and he's the guy that used to um design boards for nidecker and he was kind of part of Salge Vitelli Club where everybody was doing these Vitaly turns and doing these huge layouts and stuff and I was like, Wow People ride on their edges and do these big arc turns and stuff. So I was like emulating that. Uh, Laurie asperas was there and Laurie Gibbs was there and Francois Guttonel there. And- tons of people. Um and I also saw a little half pipe there that was the the mutant pipes that you used to see where one side was rideable the other one well, wasn't. So I went into the half pipe for the very first time in my life and I couldn't ride the backside wall but I could ride the front side wall. Uh, <laughs> and I went out and I was doing these stale fishes uh because that's what I saw people were doing and the camp and there and I'd go out and I'd do a stale I'd come down and I couldn't get to the backside wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> during that time, this guy, um, Jean-Marc Favre, photographer, took a photo of me. Um, and that, the moment I saw that image, that was the beginning of me understanding that you can, you can capture these moments that you're feeling through imagery. I didn't even click onto that stuff before. I just felt it. And I felt it for the first time when I rode my first lines in the power and I'd stop at the bottom and I'd look up and I'd see some sort of signature in the in the snow and it's like, oh I did that. You know, that's my line. Um but the the, the the second one was when I saw an image. And uh I still have it. It's hanging up in the wall. That's that one image is still hanging Amazing. up in the wall in um in my father's house in New Zealand and it's still one of the best shots I've ever had of myself. So I, it definitely was that kickoff okay this is something i want to presume i want to do more of this you know yeah. the feeling and the capturing of the feeling those two things
0: that's really interesting because you grew up surfing but yeah. you never had that connection from yeah. surf
1: no nah. and my dad's a photographer and he makes fantastic photos but we never really took photos of ourselves doing stuff and we never really, it wasn't, well, you have your photo album, you know, I still have the old photo album when we were teenagers and, you know, we were out on surf trips and it was more about the mission, you know. Um, and it was a giggle to share, you know, those prints when they came in the little print package that you got at the print shop once you got yeah. the ball developed. But they, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't really speak to me at the time, it wasn't something that I was like really affected by. But that one staley on that front side wall, that was for me and still is for me the moment where I, when it caught me, you know, the bug caught me, the feeling, the the, the values of, of actually filling a frame of sorts with some sort of skill or talent or colour or movement, you know.
0: Yeah, or like you say, experience. Because, yeah. I mean, that's that's it's kind of the heart of the industry when you boil it down, isn't it? Whether you're, a, you know, an, an ordinary Joe going out Surfing badly, like I do when I go surfing or you know like or or you, you you know like or a professional snowboarder or whoever like everyone everyone has that moment in common, everybody has that feeling of like yeah, that happened i mean i I just was surfing in the Maldives, like very lucky with a bunch of friends, and definitely had one wave on that trip where I was like, "Wow, I actually just did that <laughs> you know like and it can be inexplicable can't it to like mm. almost and and but that's what we're that's why we're all doing it isn't it that's why we're all we're all spending our lives pursuing these pursuits isn't it but that's interesting that you connected it to the the capturing of the moments would you say then that that you know we'll get to your post snowboarding work with manner, obviously but has that theme been a constant through your career since like this finding the mediums to capture the moments and communicate those moments is that the common thread Wow, well,
1: i'll write that one down yeah <laughs> that's pretty a sum up of yeah my whole life even today you know like what i do what i did before this call and what i've been doing yeah, I suppose since that moment, <laughs> thanks to Jean-Marc Fabre, a photographer, and thanks to Tinia and Petri gave me the ticket to go there. And I suppose for me, just to, just for having put myself in that place without even being aware of it, you know, a sense of naivety and, and, um, curiosity, curiosity. I've always been a very obsessively curious human of what it, does it feel like? And, and how can I take that feeling forward, you know, be it good or bad? Cause you have that choice. Like we said at the beginning of this chat, we always have a choice. Every minute of the day, we have a choice to plan our next moment, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, And those tiny choices, as you said earlier, when you were talking about the way you live in now, they're as important as the, the bigger, the bigger choices when it comes to like the quality of the life that you live, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. So that moment, that photo, was was that the moment that you decided to try and make it a, a career, in inverted commas then? Did you did you think, or was it more like, I'm just going to do more of that and see where it leads?
1: No, no. That, I, 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 uh, I think that then I really, I went to boat, Uh I went sponsor hunting because that's yeah. what they said you do. That's what you do. <laughs> Someone said you do that, so I did that. And I think I started, and I walked in, and the first the first stand was Barefoot, then it was Czech Pig, and then there was Nidecker, and then, I don't know, I kept going. And I think by the end of the show, I had three or four board sponsors. <laughs>
0: Good hustle.
1: Everybody was like, yeah, who? You? Um, what's your funny accent? And um, what are you doing? Oh, of course, yeah, we'll flow you some boards, you know. Um So I suddenly had an address in the Swiss Alps where product was getting shipped to. And that was cool. I mean, it was the 90s, you know, it was late 80s, early 90s. People were just dying to get boards on people's feet. Yeah. Um, So there's no magic there. Um, I was an anomaly. I wasn't really a lot of Kiwis floating around back then in (laughs) Europe. I was kind of that like, he's an American English speaking European, speaks Swiss German. Uh, He's here, he's available and he's talking to us. So we should be working with him, you know. It's kind of that that math. And there was no money to changing hands at that time. But for me, a board was worth a million dollars. So I had eight of them in the house. That means I had $8 million. (laughs) For a Kiwi, you're suddenly filthy rich and you can suddenly (laughs) sell seven of them because you're frugal. And you just ride one for the season. And the other seven go to people that will give you money for them, which means that pays for your ability to eat bread and water and get a train to an event, you know, or just find ways of experiencing and exploring more of this this moment you know um a lot of those boards that were sent to me they just broke too you know <laughs> every <laughs> single uh canoe that was sent to me broke all of them all six of them they were broke they were foam course they just snapped right um then there was then you started getting oh this board's nice this not these graphics are nice this is not oh this clothing is kind of cool ah oh, this doesn't really make sense to me and suddenly you started having a, a certain, let's call it aesthetic point of view of what works, you know, you're wet, you're cold, the gloves stink, um, the board snap, uh, let's find stuff that works. And then suddenly you land in one or the other homes of product that gonna let you go right. And you feel good about your equipment.
0: And did we shoot with people at this point you've mentioned, obviously the early, the early sort of relationships, but cause snowboarding professional snowboarding at that time could be about a photography partnership couldn't it you know you could if you if you forge those relationships you could i mean i've got plenty of friends i'm sure you have as well that that was kind of how they established a career in the 90s like you know photographers shoe not really necessarily do contests that much but they're around was that was that path that
1: that comes a little later (laughs) um so the begin like the 88 to 91, that no, was more about, you kind of had to go to a contest, I think, yeah. for me, unless you had already won something or being noticed somewhere, because that's kind of where it was all being gathered and coming together. And then maybe we'll go out and session a hit or, you know, hike something or get caught in the pipe, you know doing an air and someone shoots it or you get podium and you get reported on or written about in the local newspaper and the mags, obviously magazines were massive back then. It was yeah. like popping out everywhere, which was really cool. Um, but I had started just experimenting with photography and seeing how that works just with friends, you know, take a photo of this, let's try this and let's see, if, oh, let's build something here and I need some photos for my sponsors so I can send them a, a little... <laughs> Uh, a packet of of little printouts for them at the end of the season they hey look this was me writing and uh, your product's great can you send me some more um but i did get into the contest scene relatively quickly and um the first two years i would only compete in switzerland um i went i went through the swiss cups and it was isa back then International Snowboard association and then i went to isf afterwards and through the Swiss Cups, I then got a couple of spots to compete in the ISA, which means you had to go and travel and qualify. And it was, you had to buy a license and it was hundred dollars and people calling it a scandal, but those ones, yeah, sponsors didn't really mind. And I did mind because I didn't have the money. So I did start doing contests, but every time I'd make it through either Qualies and into the you know, main event or the semis, um, I had to go home because I had no money to stay. I couldn't afford to stay in hotels or anything. I had no, a car. I, I, I didn't have a car. I came in the train. So I, I was too shy to ask for a room space or floor space. So I just went home. Right. For the first year, I never really made it anywhere because I just kept going home <laughs> too early. Yeah. Um, but that was just part of the learning curve, and I was making money out kind of still the first year, still the ice rink, and then the second year, was like coaching a little bit of, kids skiing on the bunny hills um and until uh rad air came along i really wasn't making any ends meet at all i was just sort of hand to mouth and just loving the life the 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 ability to go ride. but when rad air came along everything changed um and um I was getting flowed by Night Ecker at the time and they were giving me a lot of equipment. And I was very, very thankful for that. But that was financing my, my season. Yeah. But when I saw that there was inserts coming out and, um, and they weren't ready to put inserts in their boards, they still wanted to use plates, metal plates and red air was, um, I met the guys, the Redo and Mickey and Patrick Huller, Hussler and Paul Gruber and Harry, um, at the Kebra Classic. No, sorry, not the Kebra, because what am I saying? Sufito in Sierra Nevada. I was down there. We did a contest and they said, you want to get on the team? I'm like, do I want to get on the team? <laughs> what do you mean? I says, you're going to be on the team. We're only a bunch of guys and it's the team. It's the world team, you know, and we have inserts. And I'm like. I, I felt I felt so loyal to to the Nidecker at the time that I found it really hard to kind of say I'm sorry but thank you so much for all this product you've been giving me. It's been making me, you know, making me as me, but I'm off. You know, the inserts, the inserts were too good to be true.
0: So was that the the pro career as it were? Then that's that that was the beginning of that that part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the pro career where suddenly there was a brand that had a team that yeah. had names each person had a personality suddenly we were doing photo shoots there was yeah. posters there was a trade show stand there was a video part there was a trip uh, there was representation and then suddenly there was boards to design develop and your name gets put on the board and suddenly you have a pro model and boom uh you're right with the races early 90s and you're like oh this is really exciting <laughs>
0: Yeah, amazing. I mean, and like you say, what a time to be involved in snowboarding at that point in in a professional career.
1: An incredible blur of opportunity that just
0: blew up. Yeah, uh,
1: snowboarding became so much fun. But more fun for me was even the things that we could do. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The things that we were given the opportunity to, to do off the snow you know fire and ice came along the owner of fire and ice put me on the chairlift once but from the bottom to the top he saw, I signed a pro deal with him so i became like <laughs> fully sponsored by the time i got to the top of the t-bar and the first offering was money a trip to alaska and pro model outerwear i was like this is crazy so suddenly you have boards You have clothing you have design meetings through the summer you're developing outerwear technical equipment you're deciding what color the out jackets are going to be so you can decide what color your board graphics are going to be so that they match or don't match you know and then suddenly you go go next level you go northwave and drake that came to play and level that came to play and suddenly you're dealing with gloves glove design catalog design copywriting um, team marketing, you're dealing with boot development design innovation, binding development design and innovation boards um, and jackets, and most of those had your name on them. And suddenly you had a, quite a bit of control over, yeah, the aesthetics of how you were represented in an image or in the industry or how you were influencing what other people were wearing, what they thought was good and, and bad. And that was in the early 90s, and it was just so damn exciting to be part of that
0: but also like for you with your, with your curiosity, you know, with your take on things, which is hopefully to people listening become clear already in the conversation, you know, what a situation to be in because you, you can have those opportunities in any sport, not only snowboarding is, it's just full of stories of people that get those opportunities and then just don't make the most of them and don't, don't maximize the position that they've been put in and, you know the way you described it there was always really telling because you didn't even really mention the riding, which you know, you know like because because obviously you're, you're talking about the whole package of being a professional like the, mm. the the creativity, the design, the collaboration. You know the getting to shape the culture, which is which is a huge part of it. Obviously, and is and even the the way you relay it now is really interesting because obviously that's seems to me you've always viewed snowboarding and the culture generally with that wider view, you know, with that more wide, wide widescreen perspective, like, yeah, the, the riding's fun, obviously Mm. (laughs) it's amazing, it's life-changing as we talked about earlier, but there is much more going on in the culture than that. And, you know, you've always, it seems to me been somebody that's, that's really relished that aspect of it. So when, when these opportunities were, were coming along. You must've been, it must've been kid in a sweet shop time. You must've been like, Christ. (laughs) All right, let's go.
1: Yeah. Uh, I felt a lot of pressure, actually a lot of response. You remember I was at a low self, like I was, I wasn't that sure of myself. I wasn't that secure about myself. I just felt like through these opportunities, I was given a chance to help things be better, right? And a lot of times you translate that to people looking at like, oh, we want our business to grow, we want better boots so we can sell more. But I was like, you're a human, I'm a human. I'm curious, you're giving me a chance. I need to do my very, very best right here, right now in this opportunity, or I'm going to fail. If I fail, I'm not going to be able to sleep well at night. That was my driver. I just always wanted to do my very best. And the opportunities were A, out there but you still had to ask for them you still had to make yourself present you still had to drive your car in the middle of the night through snowstorms to get down into Monte Luna and and be there for the design meetings and then be there for two three days and then drive all the way back and deal with all the other let's call it responsibilities might have gone to Sondra at a level after that but then obviously Peter Mattis would call or Robbie Trab and say hey you know Um, the road hits really good now or I found a really good spot of snow, you need to have to be ready and think ahead of that and then drive there and be ready to go ride and hit the line and make sure that the first shot you got was going to be that good that the photographer was like, got it, next month, it's a cover. Yeah. And all those things were always playing um, kind of constructive havoc in my brain. You know, I wanted to always make sure that I was hitting the mark for everybody that was supporting me and what they thought of me uh, as being a contributor to their value, and I—I I, I, put a lot of pressure on me over those years too. And I'm not saying that's bad. I just try to always enlist in people that pressure is good, but you've got to know your place within it. Yeah. Um, and you've got to make choices to always better the pressure in a positive way. You know, if you create chaos and havoc, and you you, you become a troublesome presence. I don't know. I see that as being very positive, you know, even though the opportunity is there for everybody and anybody to take on. It just, I just got always wanted to make sure that the surroundings environments around me became better through my presence. Obviously that isn't always the case, but so yeah. that was my, my intent.
0: Well, that's why it's hard in your twenties as well. Cause when you throw in like booze and drugs and partying in mm. and mm. you know, oh. that, that, that further, and let's be frank, like key part of that scene back then, yeah. um, that's a further element of pressure isn't it a further layer of like um things to to assimilate and cope with if you're going to find your path let's say
1: yeah the drugs and the booze um i i kind of escaped that a little bit i was a non-alcoholic for about six or seven years because i had glandular fever when i was living a very fast life in nz before i left new zealand so i couldn't really drink so most of the people even today think i don't drink alcohol at all which is absolutely not true i've actually got a beer here and i opened it up for the this call i haven't even started drinking yet might come later
0: um i might go and get one
1: yeah boy <laughs> um so i i probably by default i missed out on a lot of heavy heavy party or at least the heavy heavy hangovers um but i i'm definitely no angel um i just always cherish the mornings more than the nights yeah so getting up and going has always been foundational for me so anything i did at the end of the day or at night kind of had a big influence on how i wanted to feel the next day and i was always really jealous of the crew that could just nail it all night and then get up and just own it and just just yeah I'm still, I'm still I'm still I'm still
0: jealous of that. I, I was out with a <laughs> I, I think of a friend of mine recently cuz I, I I won't mention I mention it too much on here like the booze thing but um I, I was on a trip a few years ago with a friend of mine and we got super drunk and I woke up and I was like oh my god like just had the proper horrors you know and he uh he just absolutely owned it. You know like next, mor- next morning was just like just and I was like wow I need to I need to learn how to do that Why <laughs> not that that would that that would uh that would definitely save some soul searching um yeah. yeah it it it's it's interesting what you say like the managing the pressure you know like and 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 that when you look back on on yourself in those periods because it it is It's, I guess you're talking about imposter syndrome in in a way, which is, you know, a bit of a common theme in these conversations in the podcast world, almost like a bit of a cliche these days, but such a common theme, you know, like for people to be in these positions that, as you say, they've worked hard for. And, you know, like, it's not like you woke up one morning with a pro model snowboard at the end of your bed. It's like you, you, as, as you've explained, you worked for 10 years to get there. But to push that aside the imposter thing or the the, the the lack of confidence, however you want to characterize it is is difficult I mean everybody again can recognize that. was that something that you had to consciously work hard at or is that more something you've realized again in when you look back
1: I didn't constantly work hard at it. I constantly and consciously tried to manage it. I struggled with it i'll be very frank i struggled with it massively i think i covered it up really well and i had an air of confidence and uh control and you know a cadence that probably people thought like oh he's got his shit so together and i think it was more through um, um a summary of parts of my hard work and ethics and wanting to to be that servant of do good people like oh, the results say say it all but what at what cost did it come you know um and i wish i had more mentorship around me earlier um i wish i was just more I I wish i was more able to take the quiet time um that it requires i think and the kind of check-ins and check-outs with oneself At an earlier age because i would have been much much better at what i did back then and that would have been pretty mind-blowing you know i think um if i was able to like tap into that in an earlier age and and, uh, that's probably all i focus on if i'm doing any like life coaching or guiding these days it just all comes back to that that you know take the time spend time with yourself to make sure that you're aware of where you're spiritually and mentally at and also physically at because we're so distracted these days and we just don't take that time anymore you know
0: is it is it possible when you're younger though it's a big question or is or is is the process and then the later realization is that is that part of it it's, I mean, it's a que- it's, that's, that's just a question about the I, nature I of aging, a, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you know? and I don't think it's even an age thing because we obviously have our tormenting moments all our life uh, that might be on our deathbed, that we have an utter silence, like at peace moment. And I hope that for everybody, you know, that you get to that point, maybe some people have it for moments in a day, some people have it for hours of the day, some people have it at periods of their life, you know, through the 20s or the 40s or the 50s, but... I think every child must feel a sense of calm or peace at a certain point in their growing up at any part of their life. They might not know what it is or what it stands for, but I think it exists at all times. I just think we don't give ourselves enough time to listen to it and look for it. And that's where I'm really adamant about people just, just check out and just switch it off and just just listen to, as much of the silence as you can find because it's never really that quiet
0: (laughs) (laughs) ain't that the truth (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean that's again that's almost like the the challenge of the modern age isn't it you know how do you how do you like cut those distractions as you characterize them out and try and remember who you are you know that is that that that's it's probably always been the same for people, but there's definitely more engineered distractions now that are obviously calibrated and laser focused to, to create those distractions for people. So it's, it's definitely takes work conversely, doesn't it? To, to, to carve out that space for yourself, which is why early in the conversation. I was so interested in what you talked about that conscious, Downscaling almost that you've obviously engaged in to to try and create that for yourself.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's cunning, eh? The world's pretty cunning. They've they've got really good at uh getting us to tap into their sound waves, their being people with ulterior motives that need you to tap into their sound waves for them to be successful and known and rewarded, you know. Uh Mark Zuckerberg's really good at that. <laughs> you know yeah glory to him but uh you know
0: <laughs> that's his that's his thing well it's um, just good you know we just need to be uh, exactly it's good to remember that let's put it that way yeah yeah. yeah Um that that's what it is that it's and, not you know the i
1: suppose i don't know how many people follow your podcast i know it's it's known it's really well known and there's been some an amazing um Guests, um, a lot of them probably come from the action sports or the sideways sports or side sport culture world. Um, most of them, of those people, will know when I say that the reason we are lucky and fortunate and gifted as humans is that we were touched and blessed by sport slash action sports slash surf snow skate or moto whatever else you love doing that is kind of connected to you and yourself and your toy that's a very very beautiful place to be and yeah when you've done that and you've done that long enough you know how to tap into those moments which are very very at peace with one's self because it's just you, you know?
0: well they get better as well i mean that's yeah. that's the thing i've realized about my relationship with those activities it it, it gets it's almost been boiled down to the you know as like i've got older and i've obviously become even less interested in freestyle than i was when i was younger like and i'm literally just it's all boiled down to turning for me like especially surfing you know like if i could i I still don't think i've ever really actually done a decent turn on a surfboard if i'm being honest you know so for me like that's the joy of it like to to have that to have it boiled down to that essence of like that's the experience that i'm, that I'm chasing and that's yeah, that's it is a great thing you know because mm. it because it evolves as you get older and it is it's never static it's always in flux mm. and wherever you are it can give you a new sense of satisfaction and meaning and you're right i mean that's that's a great thing mm. completely
1: and the, and two things like letting go like letting go of preconceived thoughts and feelings constantly all the time gives you the ability to to, to grow and evolve in those moments uh it can be in a turn or a trick or a movement or a traverse or anything letting go and transitions always going from one you're always transitioning you know, we're always in life we're transitioning and you know, we as transition riders uh know that it's you're you're always adapting and adopting your your presence to a new transition at every minute of your ride or your you know of your run. And we just did that so repetitively over so much different terrain for so many years that it became embedded in our DNA. <clears throat> and then suddenly you're standing in front of someone who has nothing to do with our sport or our culture. And at that, you do the letting go and transition kind of mindset DNA. In front of them, they're like, how come you have that sense of perception of how this is going to play out? And it's not really that you know more or less than them. It's just you're aware that we're going to be constantly changing. We need to be open to that. We need to let go, and we need to adapt and adopt as we move forward. And It can be any any situation in your life, professionally or personally. Or you know, and I just keep applying that all the time. It's kind of a cheap method, but it works for me.
0: Yeah, well, that brings us nicely to um, you know the the later part of your career, and I do I do want to talk about the Crystal Awards because it it's still no. such a I think important moment in European snowboarding um, because I think I remember it as one of the first like contests that was about the culture very explicitly you know it was it was obviously about like any contest there was a winner and there was you know there was there was that format but it was a conscious attempt to capture what was unique about the culture at that time by involving the photographers by making it a very particular take on snowboarding um and it's interesting because i interviewed trevor graves earlier in the summer and he he put that as like pretty much the highlight of his career you know which is which is an amazing thing isn't it when you think about the career that he's had the experiences that he's had well he you know i said what what do you look back on the, the most proudly and he was like wow I, I think I, I think either he won one year or he, he did really well and he was like well you know getting voted by a room full of my peers in this incredible environment that danny had created um that's up there you know and i think the i think not to harp on too much but the further removed we get from it the more kind of ahead of its time it looks really because there's a lot of stuff that's copped it since then inadvertently as well for example
1: <laughs> well, you know, like. I wonder if the first one that I know of comes if, up.
0: If you look at like real snow, you know, like for example, like X Games real snow, it's basically the same format, you yeah. know, like um. And I I can just think of lots of different examples of like that that format popping up over the years. Um, but as far as I'm aware, like that was the first time it was done right. So, uh,
1: the, yeah, the Crystal Woods. Yeah. Oh, that was definitely the first time.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That that's uh, it's just you know something I wanted. So it, 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 again, it came from, um, it came from a request from actually from Northwave. and says, Kiwi, put on an event. Do your event." And then when I said, "This is it," you know. Uh, I said, and I'm going to do it myself. I'm not going to make a North Wave event. <laughs> I'm going to make a Danny Kiwamara event. This event's just too good. And it just stands too much for everything I believe in. And everything, again, the gratitude I have went 100% to the photographers and filmmakers in my career. Like, that was the hardest amount of work that was put in to make us um, known. And accessible and approachable through media was through the shooters, you know. So I said, this can't be about the athletes. This has to be about the artists, you know. And um, fortunately, we were still in an analog world and we were still rolling film and <clears throat> there was no digital at all. There um, was a plan moving forward to go to digital, Chris towards um, uh, in, a, in a digital format. But anyway, we'll stick with the original. And um, when I came up with that format, um, I was so convinced that this is what I wanted to give back that I really took all the sponsorship out of it, and it says I'm going to fund this myself. And those companies that are ready to support my idea and my funding of the of this project and these artists, they can contribute. But there's not going to be any banners on athletes. There's not going to be any bits. Uh, this is not a commercial shoot. This is all about the art of capture, you know. And that worked. Um, Content was just becoming king then, back then, you know. Um, we had interview of the day and photo of the day posted. We had, you know, online traffic and community. And um, the, the shooters that we invited the first year, it was just, you know, the best of the best. And um, I was so proud of that moment of being able to put that together. It um, cost me most of my career savings. To be honest, and uh, I wish it would have continued. Nine Eleven put a stop to it. There was just no way people were traveling when we went into the third Crystal Awards. But um, I'm very thankful and grateful that people like Trevor and, and most of the photographers that were involved in the efforts consider it still one of you know the milestones of their career. And I still every year I get people saying, "When's the Crystal Awards going to happen? Bring it and back. We do it again. Yeah, bring yeah. it back." And uh, I know there's brands out there that could easily, you know, fund another Crystal Awards, and I think there'd be great, great models to 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 build from it, and, and to do it with that keep it real. I would, I would want to actually have people shooting on analog again, um, and and bring the craft back in, you know, um, slow things down again. Yeah, create a sense of like suspense and intrigue and about what did I just shoot? I don't know. Do i have the actual skill to not look at my back screen you know do i have to wait till it's developed what does that mean you know how does that make me feel am i now confident in what i'm doing do i understand the subject or am i just blasting away digital you know frames to see what i can catch so all those elements i think are starting to um be seen as relevance again um so i, I yeah I'm, I'm very proud of that moment it was it was a stepping stone into Many things that came thereafter. Um, it was the one thing I'm thankful I did at the end of my career, and I'm glad I actually invested all my time and money into it, and didn't rely on anybody else's help again to to make it happen. Other than obviously the people that worked with me on it, which were
0: yeah, was a solid. Team. So when you said it, le- it led to open doors and led to new stages. Is this kind of when you because because it's Manor Media, the company that you run now, right?
1: Yeah, well there's even now there's even a new level now, uh post mana, if you will, that right. most people well, unless you're really following me socially, you wouldn't even be aware of it. It's just been in the last months. Uh, there's been a whole new change, whole nother level, if you will, uh of game playing. But um the crystal awards, at the end of the crystal awards, um uh an ad agency called me. The ad agency some people might know as widening kennedy um they called and they asked whether mana media which was the company that was taking care of the crystal Wards, which was my company that i grounded just to allow it to have a home um whether we could produce a campaign for them and the campaign was <clears throat> the speed campaign for lance armstrong for nike and um I, at the time, had no idea what an ad agency was. <laughs> I had to look that up and go, what does an ad agency actually do and who is Widening Kennedy? And, uh, you know, fake it till you make it. I said, of course, we can do that. <laughs> we did me. And I ended up being the producer for the speed campaign for Lance Armstrong and it went swimmingly. And then um, Nike Global in Portland, Oregon, had to do um, football. For a World Cup campaign in Barcelona. And they asked Wyden if they knew of anybody that was a producer that could take care of this work in Europe. And it went straight from Crystal Awards to Wyden and Kennedy to Nike Global to football within four months. Um, totally by default, but only purely because I had committed to investing in the Crystal Awards and putting that out there and going the full gamut with like distribution and getting the content out, but keeping it pure and clean. And that, that story that resonated with other creatives or high level decision makers, and they said, we want to be part of that, which means I got a seat at the table and mana media became the production company was known for, for the next 20 years.
0: So you, you, so that you said that's past tense. You just use the.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um. I think the reason I, I didn't um, speak to you over the last couple of years too was because there, there was some massive changes going on. A, there's been a lot of changes in the industry period, especially for those people that don't know what Martin Media is. It was, uh, it was a, um, basically a production house that created a lot of creative content for some of the biggest brands in the world over the last couple years. Very successful
0: production house. Let's just um, put that in there. Thank you.
1: We were very proud of what we did, we had a very, very good internal culture, Um, we were very honest and and we were were, were very good at delivering exactly on task and and above and beyond creative requests. So, that said, coming into um, 2016, 17, um, even, yeah, as soon as the digital era came in and people stuck in taking photos with phones pretty well. (laughs) Um, and, and videoing and doing their own edits, the whole craft of creating content changed dramatically. So did budgets, so did team sizes, so did scalability. We were already at a scale where we had multiple offices around, around the world and we were we were running a, a pretty high volume of turnover on revenue and clients, like the, client, the volume the clients were asking from us, be it from the client director or from the agencies, And we realized we had to start to scale back or rethink how we were creating content. Um, That said, um, I kind of went into semi-retirement in 2018, and that was through the direction of my two co-lead people, one being someone that worked on the European side and one that was working on the US side. Um, Unfortunately, that path that dreamy path of just going into semi-retirement and watching your business just move on dynamically uh, with ongoing success uh that didn't work out as well as it should have and i think if you would have called me a couple of years ago i would have been full of anger and pent and frustration and um And I would have probably lynched a few people or one in particular (laughs) on this call. And I'm not even going to go there right now because anybody who knows me and wants to know about it can call me directly and I'll tell them the full story. Um, but this isn't the platform to be talking about that. So I took, I took a hiatus, um, and said, I need to rethink where I want to be with my path moving forward. So I did a lot of house cleaning, scaled back, scaled down, reduced. It was all part of the reduction and scaling back and becoming more effective and finding my place in this world that i had created around me which became bigger than me um and i just didn't feel like being a slave to my own creation anymore you know Uh, so post-covid which i'll call that now because there was a pre-covid and then there was covid and now we're in a, a new area it still exists but we're all learning to live with it in our own separate and different ways. Um, I just started getting calls back in and getting asked whether I could become involved with certain platforms that were ready to grow and expand, and they just needed a certain skill set. The skill set, what I would call is like a high level pilot who can objectively look at a task between massive stakeholders and go, this is this is the creative idea, these are the funds, this is the brand, how are we going to take this and make it launch up to whatever level it needs to go and land it safely and successfully and let everybody get out and recalibrate and redo it again and again. So they came to me and asked me whether I would be part of the part of the journey and um, now I'm involved with a really really dynamic creative uh, agency that is working for some of the major fashion labels around the world Um, also connected to snow and and sports and technical wear but it's it's kind of the the Montclair's of the world now with the Robin Wright's from House of Cards world you know so it's like this whole mother level of scale um that I'm super thrilled to be part of yeah uh, and super thrilled to be able to um, contribute again coming back to that contribution and feeling good about what I'm doing and where where my place is within it all yeah. knowing that it's 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 a sum of parts and knowing what my my position is like the the lead pilot and um yeah i'm thrilled it's 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 a great um next level for me to be
0: um, back to them again. So obviously, you don't want to get into the details. And I don't want to ask you about the details, but one question I do have about that th- situation you've just mentioned is because it sounds like you had a plan for the future which didn't transpire the way that you imagined it. It might do, and it sounds mm. like you. It took a while for you to sort of assimilate that and and find a way of moving forward from that. Is that is that fair?
1: yeah you, you yeah, for sure. I think we all um, know what disappointment feels like. can be come in so many ways. It can be you didn't land the trick. It can be uh, you bought the wrong dress for your wife. It can be you get divorced. it can be um, grades at school, it can be your car ran out of gas, you know and you're not quite there yet. It can be the beer ran out, you disappointed. Disappointment happens all the time. I became bitterly, bitterly disappointed in humans around me that I had trusted in for 15 years. And they had the key to everything that I had and owned. And that disappointment, when it gets personal, is really, really, really hard to swallow. And it just takes time. You have choices. You know, you become angry. You become depressed. You become, um, um, yeah, you become you become unbearable to live with you know you put blame on others around you or you beat things up and break things i went into more of a um inner kind of inner searching phase i'm like i need to find myself first and foremost i need to listen to myself and find out where's my place in this chaos and um it took me it took me a good i would say a good half a year and I had to be completely clean. Like I just, wouldn't consume anything at all that would distract me or put a plaster on the problem. Um, And I would sit down on my mat in the morning and I'd sit down on my mat in the evening. I'd do my check-ins and check-outs and I'd focus on my health and and I found my way and path again. And I learned to just, you know, trust oneself again and find your voice and then bam. Suddenly you're, you're, you're back on the road and you're starting to become, you know, curious again, obsessively curious, and suddenly you're asking questions and suddenly you realise the, the world's just waiting for you and you're off, you're off to the races again. But you've got to take that time out. You must do it. It's crucial.
0: And you've obviously, like, put community, put giving back, put a certain way of treating people at the core of what you do since day one i mean that's apparent from knowing you that's apparent from the conversation that we've had today um have you uh, and you know i imagine that i'm kind of guessing perhaps reaching a little bit but i imagine that was part of the disappointment like the the fact that 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 wasn't reciprocated in the way perhaps that you felt it should have been so it's a clumsy way of asking, like, did it, did it permanently change your faith in human nature?
1: No, it changed my faith in an individual. Yeah. <laughs> That's when I realized that we're all, you know, we're all just human. But uh, humans can be deceiving, <laughs> bitterly deceiving and bitterly disappointing. And we, and, and, and as I can be, you know, as probably you can be, we can all be that. Um, what it made me most aware of is that accountability. Of actions um, are paramount in any relationship and it needs to be reciprocal and if that isn't the foundation of uh, of, of a relationship be it professionally or personally then at some stage you might just end up being really disappointed in the partner or the associate or the colleague or the relationship you have before you or that you've built your trust upon and it's the one thing I changed that's one simple thing is holding myself accountable and holding the people around me accountable for um, their, their, their words and their actions. And um, it's, it's, um, it's pretty simple. Um, and as long as you start with yourself and you, you hold yourself accountable and you stay true to that, that's pretty good. It's pretty—it's very, 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 very enjoyable way to live. You know? And it's just honest um and if people don't like it you know so what then they're not for you
0: Has that has that been important to you though trying to show that you can run a business you can you can operate in the way that you operate because with integrity with community with giving back at the heart is that always i'm imagining that's something that you've you know you mentioned the culture of manner that you work so hard to create if it, it feels like that's as important as the work almost like the the, the 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 style of the work you know like you can do this in a way that's inclusive that is does have community at its heart like is that is that something that you that you were very conscious of and that you've been conscious of through your career very
1: conscious of but again a little bit naive of how accountable everybody must be in, within the community so built built great community built great opportunities for people to grow and evolve and thrive within that community but it all comes from a certain um contribution to start with someone has to sow the seeds someone's gonna put the water on the tree to help it grow someone's going to shade it from the weather and stuff you know it always comes from somewhere people need to be made aware of that and people need to be held accountable for it or you need to hold yourself accountable if you can't give shade anymore, or if you can't water the tree anymore, you know, or if you can't pay someone's wage, or if you can't, if you can't answer to a request or a promise, you know, you've got to be honest and be true to it. And even if it hurts, it's the best thing to do, just be honest uh, and action on that honesty and accountability. And I changed that a lot since this ex- previous experience. And I think if I would have um, learned that earlier, then I wouldn't have gone through that level of disappointment. Um, and, 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 and that said, if I hadn't gone through that level of disappointment, I may never been jolted into that sense of reality. So it's not a problem.
0: Yeah. Um, That's the paradox that we talked about earlier, isn't it? Like is the experience necessary to gain the knowledge or can you gain the knowledge without the experience? It's kind of the question that we've been talking about really that, which is, yeah. Uh, well great greater minds than ours have grappled with that one let's put it that way but that's what i found so fascinating about this conversation because that's that's the theme isn't it that 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 it seems has been at the heart of what what you've done and and the way that you've tried to live your life which is which is fascinating and something again that we all discern and grapple with and you know we're aware of it and aging's great because it in, you know, it's one of the great things, as I mentioned, about aging because it gives you that perception to sort of think about life in those terms. But it can be hard earned, as as you're describing as well, can't it? But it's earned? Yeah.
1: And again. And, and the differentiation between uh, activation and and uh, um, academics is that you know, and they, uh, the academics of life are learnt. They're, they're, you, learn, you sit down and learn academically, yeah. if you will. I might be saying this wrong. Other people will call BS on that, but I see there is an academic, and I meet a lot of academics in my career. Um, I meet a lot of people that are studied, that are, that are, that are knowledgeable. You know? But when we talk about experience, I meet a lot of people that have phenomenal amount of experience, you know, that have actually physically done it done things and they can understand the process because they've explored and experienced and failed miserably at it and that process connected to it with intellectuality is a powerful you know recipe to, to 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 work with or to have as an individual most people have one or the other or they focus more on one and the other and i think you need to be aware that you need, you need a certain amount of um, Academic knowledge or intellectual knowledge comes from whatever studying you do, but you need to be able to know how to apply it. And you generally need to fail multiple times in the application at your own expense, hopefully, um, to be able to actually really be a master at something.
0: I've got to find this quote. It actually just came through on an email that I get. Uh, it's really good, actually. It's a guy called Oliver Berkman who's I guess he's like a philosopher um anyway he's just sent his like weekly email and this quote really jumped out the purpose of life is to be defeated by greater and greater things hmm. which is kind of what you just said and you know like those experiences to keep to keep coming back from them hmm. to keep working out how you can take them on board and what lessons you can you can take from them.
1: Hmm. And the funny thing with defeat is most people never want to be defeated. They don't want to lose. It's not in our culture as humans. We want to win. We're winners, you know. But defeating doesn't mean failure. Defeating means you got wiser, you got more knowledge. It's just building a bank of knowledge through experience. And it it just means you learn to apply how to apply yourself again and again in those transitions of moving forward, uh, in a different way. So you can adapt and apply from that experience. So um yeah, we get defeated on a daily basis, but it's really more just an adjustment into a situation that you weren't quite ready for. And if you're really good at it, you will adapt so fast as a human, you know, you'll totally adjust and you'll make choices in a different way, second by second. You go closer, you'll go through it or you'll just take a step back from it. But um, no worries being defeated, mate, it's all good.
0: Yeah. All right, I got one more question for you. I'm gonna completely change the tone. Um and ask a bit of a, a bit more of a throwaway one but um if you could only do one from this point surf or s- snowboard what would you choose mountain bike <laughs> good answer i take it that's what you're doing a lot of
1: yeah it's always four foot north offshore, mate
0: <laughs> danny thank you that was really great I really, really, really enjoyed it, and thanks, thanks for your time, man.
1: You're welcome, Matt. It's been a, it's been a pleasure to finally connect. Sorry, I was so elusive, but I'm really, really thankful for the time, bro.
0: Yeah, no, man, that was yeah. Keep was doing great.
1: what you do. It's, uh, it's very, very appreciated, I think, across the board by so many people because I think there's, there is definitely the need to share, um, and to gather kind of historical knowledge of, you know people's minds and places, and you definitely do that. And uh, so, yeah, probably thanks from all of us out there that listen to you and your podcasts and all your all your guests um, that take the time to hear your questions and answer them in their way. So cheers bro, cheers to everybody.
0: So there you go, that was me and Danny Kiwi Meyer, and I hope you enjoyed it. Told you there was some meaty, thought-provoking themes to get stuck into there. My thanks to Danny for giving us his time, wisdom and insights so generously and for giving me personally so much to think about. If you enjoyed this episode and want to delve into my back catalogue of interviews with similarly pioneering individuals, head over to my website www.wearelookingsideways.com where you'll find my full archive which includes interviews with snowboarding legends such as Tom Burt, Cersei Wallace, Kelly Clark, Todd Richards and many more. No housekeeping corner this week. Um, but if you want to say hello you can find me over on instagram at we look sideways email me at podcast at we are looking if you want to support the show you can share a favorite episode buy some merch or even buy a copy of my book looking sideways volume one which is now into its second print run and which remains a brilliant way of helping me keep the podcast free and ad free all right i'll be back next week nice one